there was a time in my life, whether it would be forced, whether it would be, um, I don't even know what the word is, uh, aspiring, um, but uh, there was a time in my life when playing the piano was really important, actually a few different times in my life, and they all had different reasons and different seasons and different purposes. My parents made me take piano lessons when I was five years old. God bless Mrs. Halamichek. That was my first piano teacher. Yes, her name was Halamichek. Um, I don't have any idea how to spell that either. So that was almost 40 years ago now. Um, then that was uh, about five or six years of my life. And most of them were in um, forced submission to such a skill. And I can still vaguely play one of the very last songs I ever learned taking piano lessons as a kid. Then, by God's blessing in my life, in sixth grade, my hometown of Truth or Consequences, New Mexico, no longer had a piano teacher. I was praising Jesus. And for the next six years of my life, I still was involved in music. I was Greg the trumpet player. And then I went to college. And the college had this value that my parents once held. I had to learn to play the piano because I was majoring in music. But I got really tired of playing the trumpet, so I switched to voice. And they, again, imposed, that's the word I was looking for, imposed a value upon me that I was to be a performer and had no interest in performing solo. And Zach's going, why not? Right? This is the best thing ever, because Zach has a big voice. No, my goal was always to blend into the choir. The problem was, once upon a time, I, was a, I had a lot of blonde hair. It's true. And it blended in with nothing. You could tell I was always there. And I was loud. I know, that's shocking too, right? So anyway, I went and I, I got these piano skills enhanced, learned to use them a little bit differently, and also picked up a guitar for the first time, and I learned how to sing, and I, I quit playing trumpet because I got tired of kissing a piece of metal eight hours a day. So then I got involved in ministry, and that was really where I picked up guitar, and it became a very useful friend to me, and I... Um, I actually became a much better piano player because really what you just saw me doing right then was I was playing guitar on the piano. I was just doing this. People go, that was amazing. I was like, it's smoke and mirrors. It's what it is. But I also became a music teacher where the value of playing the piano took on a whole different purpose. And all of a sudden, I was thankful my parents battled me, and yes, I used the word battled me in taking piano lessons when I was a child, because all of a sudden, that tool became useful to my livelihood, because I could do that. And also, it got me through seminary, because I was teaching. Allison and I were, when we were first married. I taught music for nine years, and it paid our, uh, you know, our, our wages. Well, then I got this job. 
And occasionally I'll play the piano, and occasionally I'll play the trumpet, and occasionally I'll sing, but most of the time I'm not doing any of those things. It does not mean I don't value those tools anymore. That's one of the reasons I, I played those couple of songs. Those are a couple of my favorite songs, and, and you probably notice I fumbled on the chords a little bit because that value has taken a back seat in my life over the last several years, and I'm not as practiced as I once was. Here's the thing is that our values show who we are and what we've been involved with and who we are moving into the future. And I'll always have some of those skills that are results of things that I valued for different reasons in my life. Like I said, when I was a kid, I didn't really value taking piano lessons. My parents did because they paid for them. And I ended up putting a timer on my microwave and, you know, 30 minutes I'd peek around the corner into the kitchen to see where that is usually like at 18 minutes left on when I was supposed to practice and things like that. But all along the way, those tools have helped me and I valued them differently in every season. And see, in ministry, as a church family, individually, Whatever that may be, we also have values, things that we find to be important. And I think if we're honest with, our, with ourselves and if we're honest with each other, those things shift through the years. There may be things that are continually at, at the forefront all the time in who we are as Christians, who we are as followers of Jesus, who we are as a church, but there may be other emphases along the way that we need to examine in our hearts and our lives to say, is that still important to us? Yes. Does it take first place like it used to or, or up on top of the list like it once did? Maybe it's a little different now. So over the last now two years, I know it's been a long process and some of you are going, yeah, it's been two years. I don't even know why you started in the first place. But for the last couple of years, we've been looking at our values. We've been looking at our mission statement. We've been looking at who we are as a church and how it looks moving into the future and how we want to impact the community of Pueblo with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And all along the way, we've had all kinds of different people involved in this process, and we've taken it to the church family and we've talked about those things, and we've tweaked them, and we brought them back together. And over the, this Sunday, and maybe in a couple of weeks, depending on how far I get, because I decided to sing a song at the start today. It took a little longer. Um, or two songs, maybe. We will be looking at what we have identified in the past and in the present as our values as a church family. Like I talked about with the kids earlier, even from year to year, from day to day, our values take precedence in different ways. They don't always look exactly the same as they once did. You know, we develop skills because of things that we find to be important. I used to be a lot better at working on cars than I am now for a lot of reasons. One of them was I had old, worn-out cars for a long time. Not that I don't now. We do have a newer vehicle now, but well, you know, actually three out of four vehicles I own qualify as old and worn out. But I'm not as good at it as I used to be because it's not as great a need. And also, there's a lot of computers on these modern things. And yeah, I good to find the gas tank sometimes, right? 
I'm not as good at some things as I once was. And I, and I think that you could probably say the same thing about different things in your life. Maybe a job that you had for a season in your life that by necessity you got to be good at. You learned a lot of things about it. But you haven't thought about that in years, maybe even decades. And so if I brought up a conversation with you and say, hey, I know you used to do this for a living and you stare at me because that was 30 years ago. You know, I do the same thing. You know, oh, you're a trumpet player. I was. I turned 44 next month. The last time I really played trumpet, I was 19. I mean, I have picked up the thing. I remember the fingerings. But my lips sure don't remember what to do. I get tired really fast. And I can't sing as long and as uh, probably with as good a quality as I once did, especially 22 years ago when I did my junior recital in college. And my skills as a teacher in music are not what they were while I was doing it. But there are things that I'm involved with now that I'm a whole lot better with now than I used to be. Why? Because the seasons change. So who we are as a church family, some of those things are the the same kind of thing. We might be involved in something in the community that has run its course. You know, one of the things that is brought up a lot, lot, through uh, conversations and things like this is something like bus ministry. Now, I'm not, I don't think our church ever really had a serious bus ministry, if I remember correctly. Could be wrong. Sorry if I am. I wasn't here when it happened. I know a lot of churches really had big bus ministry, and some of them, it, there's a few stragglers on it. But in the 70s, church buses were everywhere, picking up kids, bringing them to church. Well, now you have to have a legal waiver and you have to have special insurance, and you have to maintain all the vehicles, and, you know, get this list going on, that season didn't change. And people are far less likely to just stick their kid on a bus and send them away, which has its good points and its bad points. But our seasons of ministry change. That was a really popular thing in the Southern Baptist Convention once upon a time. Not so much anymore. And there are all kinds of different things that we can, can think about with that, but one of the things we have to come to terms with is that Today's world is just a little bit different than yesterday's, but the Lord is the same. So, uh, first things first, that's what I'm talking about today, what our values mean in ministry, and I want to bring up some of these things. We talked about them a couple months ago in, uh, in our church family in our wet cement meeting, and today we're going to uh, recap some of those. May not get through all of them because, again, I talk a lot. So, we came to this word to describe our city. And really, I think it's a word to describe the human experience. But when we started looking at what's going on in Pueblo and the things that that happen in our world and and that happen in our lives, we came to this word, broken. Now, some people in the conversation liked this word, not because it was a good thing, but because it was a clear thing. Some people really didn't. But we came to a place where it was a reality. This world is broken. We're broken by this three-letter word called sin. And if we look at our our nation, if we're we're honest about it, that's where we're going to find ourselves, to realize that we need something to fix the fact that we're broken. And so this, realizing this, um, this place in our lives, 
is where we started from when we started looking at something like a mission statement. And we've, we've had different mission statements through the years, and, and, it, and the Great Commission never changes, and we're going to come to that in our discussion of our values, but, you know, go and make disciples of all the earth. And lo, He is with us always, even to the end of the age. That is our mission. But how do we express that as a church family? And this is where we got to that. This is the mission statement that we're proposing for our church family to bring the restoring love of Jesus to the people of Pueblo. If you think about whatever church, and I'm not in the competition business and I never have been, but if you think about how many people in our community are sitting where you are right now, in effect, in a church facility, we have approximately 150 to 200,000 people in the county of Pueblo. Maybe, maybe, and this is a big stretch, maybe 10,000 people are in church right now. Now do that math in your head. We got some work to do, right? I don't want to do that math in my head, but it's not a big number. There is a call on our lives to do just this, to bring the restoring love of Jesus to our community. And, and we came to that place because of the healing that has come to those who are a part of our church family in the ministry that we have as Aberdeen. So many of us have been in places where we are utterly broken. And one of the statements made, and it's by somebody in this room, I'm not going to say who it was, but many of you know who it was, is that you loved me back to life. Friends, that's what we're here to do is to share the love of Jesus that brings life and life more abundantly. And as a part of that, we have all these values along, along the way. What are values? They are the things that are at the core of who we are, who we are individually, who we are as a church, who we are as a community. But these are the things that when all the 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 melee is happening that bring us back to why we're here. They are the reason we do what we do. And one of the things, and I praise the Lord for this, that you're going to see in our church family is that we are Bible-focused. Not perspective-focused. It's the scriptures. And we start, and, I, and I'm going to hit a lot of different scriptures along the way. I have them up on the screen, but um, I like to, you know, have this paper thing in front of me to know what's going on, although I'm going to use both today, just so you know. But there are some verses that we can use, and you'll see them if you can see that well down at the bottom of the screen. But I'll tell you what they are, too. Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my my path. The very core of who we are as a church is to realize that the Bible, the Word of God, is our light. That He is the one that illuminates each step ahead of us. But we also believe some things about the Bible. There it is. I can put it on the screen there. We also believe some things about the Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, 
and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. One of my challenges, and it's not something that I, I come back to every time, sometimes it's getting caught up in, in rules, but one of the challenges I put before myself is, what does the Bible say about that? Or something like that. And what we believe about the Bible matters. The Bible is true. It's profitable for teaching. It's breathed out for God. It's good for correction. It's good for training. It, it guides us in who we are so that we can complete what God wants us to do. And that has been a core value of our church family for as long as I can remember. We did a values thing about 10 years ago, and this was number one as well, being Bible-focused. So we are going to return to the Word of God. And that's one of the reasons I don't get fancy with things. And this morning, or yesterday and this morning, both, um, they were like, oh, well, this, is th this song, Man of Sorrows, was the song that kept popping up that we sang earlier. Well, that's going to go great into the Gospel of Mark. And I said, well, I'm not going to be in the Gospel of Mark tomorrow. What? Somebody even asked, is it a new year? Not quite, but we come back to the Word of God. That's one of the reasons I, I, I turn through books of the Bible, and some of you go, man, we're still in the Gospel of Mark. Yeah, I like to throw a curveball every once in a while, you know, to, to, but it, it still comes back to the Word of God. The second one, this is more of an aspiring value. This isn't something that we are great at, but it's something that we want to be better at. That is community involvement. We've also used the term community engagement. One of the ways we see that happen in our, uh, well, let me come back to the verses that are built upon that. I, that's why I put the notes in there. Go to Jeremiah. All right. I love the book of Jeremiah. And one of the things about Jeremiah is that he's, he's writing on behalf, uh, the words of the Lord to the people of Judah as they have been ripped out of Jerusalem. And this is the promise that he says and how they should live because of this. Jeremiah 29 actually has all kinds of different verses that we know. For I know the plans he has for us, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. This actually comes before that. That's verse 11. This is verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Jeremiah 29 deals with this throughout, okay? But basically what God is telling the children of, of Judah at that place is, yeah, you're going to be in Babylon for a while. Do my work while you're there. Friends, we are strangers and aliens in this world if we belong to Jesus Christ as our Savior, if he is our Lord. But guess what? We're going to be here for a while. Let's give our lives in blessing Jesus through community ministry. 
that's expressed in different ways. We, we open our buildings to several different groups along the way. Most recently, it's been the Children's Corral, which they're going to be here in their summer stuff. But we've also opened it for community groups like the Aberdeen Neighborhood Groups. There's a couple of different of those. And we, we try to be welcoming to our community. But our facility isn't it. It's not the end all. You know, I tell people I'm pastor in, you know, of our church, of Aberdeen, and they go, well, where's that? It's over by the football stadium. Oh, it's that cute church. Yes, it's that cute church. And if you just came inside, you'd know how adorable we are. Here's the deal is that we are called to go into the city, to live our lives as a blessing to the Lord, to be engaged with our community. Third one is one that we've shifted back and forth in what we call it. A few weeks ago, we called this minister, or, uh, serving the church or serving church members. We just We just saw that. That was kind of community club sound, or, uh, uh, country club sounding. That we're just here to serve each other. And we're here to do what each other tells us to do. No, that's not what this is about. This picture is that we are to minister to one another. That's our third value, ministry to one another. And that's actually something that's carried over from our previous set of values. And Ephesians chapter 4 is where we see that. He gave the apostles and prophets, the evangelists, and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And I put a, left the comma there on purpose because we're actually going to come back to that. Ministry to one another means that we, um, we, we are here to live out John 13. When Jesus said, you will know us, they will know you by your love for one another. We're to live out service and ministry to one another there are a lot of people in great need in our church there's a lot of people in great need in our city around us in our neighborhood we look for ways to meet those needs it's not about just coming to get what we want out of a place it's about putting something in to a place into the body of christ so ministry to one another this is the, the core of the Christian faith, this next value. That is disciple-making. How do we do that? Well, Matthew 28 is uh, something that I've mentioned already. We go, and as we are going and we continually go, we make disciples. Well, what does that look like? I put the comma on Ephesians 4 because we're going to come back to it. Verses 13 through 16. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint, which, with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's how we make disciples. That's how we see each other grow in faith, is that with this, through this commitment to his word, we continually grow and make disciples. We tell people about what God has done in our lives. 
It was really encouraging. Uh, last week, you know, Adam and Susie were here talking about their work in ministry, but one of the things that Adam talked about in the young adult class and brought up a little bit in their presentation during the worship service was how they evangelize and how they tell, uh, tell others about Christ in Kenya and, and you know, having a, a, a chance to, to learn different tools. Disciple-making means that we are constantly learning the Word of God and how we can tell others about what God has done for us. Evangelism is a big part of that. That is proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's something that we have to be intentional about. Otherwise, it ends up coming back into, I'm here for me. But guys, we can't be here for us. We're here for the Lord and we're here to love His world. And we're here to make disciples. I didn't think I was going to get through this, but I am now. And I know it's a minute till 12, but you're not going to starve. It's going to be okay. We'll have news on that later. Anyway, Here's one that we changed the wording on. You know, you've, uh, if you've been around a, a little bit, uh, our, our friend Bill Lighty, who's been guiding us through this, he's the director of missions in, in Colorado Springs. He's been coming down and helping us with this periodically. He <laughs> wanted to call this value connectional togetherness. The problem was I couldn't say that. Well, and I did, felt like it was too hard to complain, or to complain, to explain, maybe to complain too, I don't know. Some of us find it really easy to do that. But honest relationships was something that we, we took as that value. That means we are who we are with one another. There are going to be weeks, like two weeks ago, I wore a polo shirt to preach, Today, since we're going to be out of town next week, I'm wearing my patriotic gear. I'm wearing a blue tie and a red shirt. Sorry about the tan pants. But don't worry, I'm pale enough, it probably looked like a flag anyway. We are who we are in Christ. And it's more important that we make disciples than we try to put on some kind of show. So we want to be honest with one another. Colossians chapter 4. Colossians is amazing. Great book. I preached it about 10 years ago. Maybe I do need to do it again. Here we go. Continue steadfastly. That's a cool word. What does it mean? It means you steadfast. What does it mean to stead? Continue steadfastly in prayer being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the world to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is now how, is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech be always gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. See, you thought at the beginning, why did he pick those verses? That's why, right there. God calls us to live by faith in Him at all times. And that may not be very pretty. Sometimes we're going to have to make decisions that are going to be difficult. So, what does this all mean? It means, what, what, what does this do for us? This sets the groundwork for who we are as a church family. And how we want 
to minister to the community. Why do we do cookouts on Wednesday night? Because we want to live out relationships together. And in a, in a public way to show the world, hey, genuinely we like each other and we want to like you too. Why do we open our facility? Because we, want, we know that in our world today, it's getting closed up. We want to show you an open door. Maybe it'll start with our facility. But we really want to show you the open door to Christ. The open hearts of Christ. And it all comes back to that mission statement to bring the love of Jesus to the people of love. The restoring love of Jesus to the people of love. That's why we exist as a church family. And it takes a lot of work to figure out who you are. And then that's just the start of it. Because you know, Jesus, let's just set that together. That'll be fine. No, that's, that's the core of who we are and why we make certain decisions the way we do. And so we, we present those things. We'll have a business meeting next month. We'll talk about those things a little bit more. And now that I got through all of them this morning, I can tell you in a couple of weeks we'll be back in the Gospel of Mark. But all of those things show who we are, who we believe our church is, for this time and for this moment and leading forward to what God wants to do through us. You know, we came through the pandemic pretty well. There are a lot of churches that closed their doors during the pandemic. Now, the church of God is not a building. It is the people of God called by God to serve the Lord. And He calls us to go and make disciples. How are we going to do it? Where do we start? We start with knowing the Word of God. We start with being honest with each other and who we are. We start with an intentionality of engaging our community with the good news of Jesus Christ. We start by ministering one to one another together and then into our community. See, all these things overlap with each other. Why is this important? Because it draws us back to our purpose, and that is to make disciples. To tell one another, tell the world what Jesus, how God loves them, what Jesus has done for them. And I am so encouraged by so many of you who've st stood fast, steadfastly, stood fast, that's what it is, stand fast stood strong in faithfulness to the Lord. It hadn't been easy. And God never said it was going to be easy. But we're not here for ourselves. We're here to bless Him. We're here to bless His world. And in the process, guess what we receive? We spill our water. We receive a blessing from Him. God is good. And my prayer is that these values define who we are now and lead us forward into blessing his, his, his world in the days ahead that so desperately need Him. So desperately our community needs the Lord. Thank you for your faithfulness to Christ. And let's keep going together. Let's pray. Father, you're good. And even as we spill some water here,
you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. I pray, God, that as we, um, we set our hearts and our minds on you, that um, we cling to you, realizing that we cannot do this by ourselves. But you call us together as the body of Christ, as your church, to bless your world. Help us to bring your restoring love to the people of this community and to the world around us. As we have our time of response now, I pray that it would be a time where we pray for one another, we pray for our city, that we would bless you to grow in your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.